We'll get back to your episode here in a second, but first, it's Ethan Skolnick from the Five Reasons Sports Network, and we want to tell you about another watch party that we're having with the host in our network, and that's going to be November 11th at Uncle Al's in Sunrise. Now, there are a couple of Uncle Al's. This is the one over at 10033 Sunset Strip. It's in the same shopping center as Doris Italian Market. We were there earlier for a Canes LSU watch party, and we know, we know, we know, we know, we know, I'm doing that five times because we've lost all five times when we've had watch parties. But we are going to break the streak for Dolphins Packers in Lambeau Field against Aaron Rodgers. Well, okay, maybe not. But we're going to have a great time. We're going to have drink specials. We're going to have beer specials. We're going to have food specials. We're going to have giveaways of hats and T-shirts. I've also got some gift cards that have been burning a hole in my pocket. We're going to give out some of those also. So it's November 11th, Uncle Al's Sunrise 100. 33 Sunset Strip. We're going to start getting out there at about 3 o'clock. The game starts after 4. It's been moved from 1 to 4 o'clock. So we're going to get out there starting at 3. Come hang out with us. We're going to be at the outside bar. We'll also be inside a little bit too. So come check it out. Uncle Al Sunrise, November 11th with the Five Reasons Sports Network. Welcome to Three Yards Per Carry, a podcast covering the Miami Dolphins and the NFL. Now, here's your hosts, Chris, Alf, and Simon. And we're on, and welcome to another episode of Three Yards Per Carry. I have Chris Kaufman here. The last few podcasts, it's been either Chris or Simon. Guess what? You get both this time. Hello, Simon. Chris, uh, Alf, how are you? <laughs> okay, I expect a little bit more. Oh, sorry. Would, shall I jump up and down and play the national anthem? Yeah, that'd be good. Can you do both national anthems? Do, do England I, I, and do the United States. I'm a terrible singer, though, so you wouldn't want to hear it. <laughs> okay. Uh, I don't know. I've heard you uh, sing some Dick Van Dyke. You have. <laughs> chim, chimity, chim, chimity, chim, 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 Yeah. That's the one. Well, at the top of the show, Chris has more Ryan Tannehill news. Take it away, Chris. Yeah. Um, so Ryan Tannehill had a press conference today, and uh, I thought it was odd, you know, that that he all of a sudden is having a press conference. Um, here's what – so Adam, Adam Gase himself and the team revealed, I believe it was last week, and I had some other things going on in my life, so I was barely able to pay attention. But he re- they revealed the nature of Ryan Tannehill's injury. They said that he has a capsule injury, um, finally clearing – the air or clearing up what um, nature of his injury is after a lot of speculation and and reports and whatnot um what i can say is that uh is that ryan Tannehill, in addition to a capsule injury uh which i'm told is a a capsule ligament uh, sprain not strain that's in addition to that he has a labral tear a small labral tear a slap tear um, in, uh, in his labrum and, um, and that this is both of these things go hand in hand and go together, uh, are due to a subluxation that he suffered in that Cincinnati game when Carlos Dunlap tried to tear his arm off and beat him with it. That's what's going on with Ryan Tannehill's shoulder. Uh, and I think that during the press conference itself, he gave you a pretty big hint to those that were listening because he talked about how he has a lot of pain while he's throwing. He, he mentioned that he doesn't have the strength in his throws, which we already knew, 
but he mentioned that it's really painful while when he throws. And the first thing that came came to me was um, a sports medicine guy that I've been talking to about Ryan Tannehill's injury off and on. This is not a guy that is privy to team information, not a person that treats him or anything like that. Um, this is a totally separate uh, person that I, I rely on for his expert expertise because he's a doctor. He saw that press conference and he said, "Did you see Tannehill talk about how how much he how much pain he's in when he when he throws?" He said, "That's like 95% confirmation that he has a labral a labrum tear." I thought that was interesting because I had already had it from an actual team source that he does have a labrum tear in addition to the. Uh, the capsule injury so that's what's going on there alf i know you've got experience with some of these things i know you were kind of thinking along the same things but um you know yeah exactly uh when i saw that that press conference and he said that he had pain when he was throwing the football mm-hmm. it brought me back right back to, to high school i i screwed up my shoulder i had a labral tear when i played football and i also played baseball I was a better baseball player than i was a football player and I went from becoming a shortstop to a second baseman just because I couldn't throw the ball with any power or throw it any further than second base. And it <laughs> took me a while. I didn't want to have surgery. I was told I needed to have surgery. I didn't have surgery. And it took me about, you know, of course, this is now ancient. You know, this was when dinosaurs were roaming the earth. We're talking about 1991, guys. Okay. That shows you how old I am. But yes, I didn't get any power or strength for about two years without surgery. So as soon as I saw that, I said, whoa, if he has a labral tear, then he can't throw. And he's probably not going to be able to throw for a very long while. I'd be surprised if we ever see him play for the Dolphins again. Me yeah, I'm starting, to, I'm starting to think that that's the favorite in the clubhouse right now. I mean, ge- genuinely, I, I, I don't think he plays for the Miami Dolphins at quarterback again. I, I, don't I realize that's speculation. That's not yeah. information, but no. I mean, it's, it's educated. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's just it's it's just speculation. Yeah, but you know we have some experience, and it's it's one plus one, guys. You know, it's it's not we're not I mean, coming down I, from I, the mountain with the tablets here. This is yeah. you know this is and what I, it is. I think that I think I think the favorite scenario is that Teddy Bridgewater would be the starting quarterback next year, and they end up drafting somebody like a Drew Locke or a Will Greer in whichever round they deem necessary. Mm. Um, and potentially parlay something into the 2020 draft. But I would see that that is the situation moving forward. I do not think given, you know, and I, you know, we, we've discussed privately and personally about what Chris has just told you. And um, none of us, you know, we're all pretty confident in Chris's sources. And, you know, when I say pretty confident, what I mean is we're, we're all very confident and I would, no, I would have to believe that I don't see, I certainly don't see him playing again this season. And I just don't envisage a scenario where he is moving forward as the quarterback of the Miami Dolphins. And I believe that Teddy Bridgewater and a young rookie quarterback will be the, 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 the players moving forwards. Well, I found that in his press conference today, it was, you know, speaking of sources and what they've been telling us, uh, I mean, Ryan Tannehill confirmed so much of everything that we've been saying, yeah. especially about the um, especially about the timelines and the rest periods. I, he even mentioned a ten day rest period, which is exactly what we told you here <laughs> yeah. on this podcast, like several times. There's going to be a ten day rest period, and then they're gonna they're te- they're gonna test his throwing and see see where his strength is. We told you that um, there was no setback, but they're also they didn't move move the ball forward on his strength. There was no progress on his strength that's exactly what ryan Tannehill said and described today during his press conference is um is they they tested it and 
and you know his strength wasn't coming back so now they're resetting again and they're going to have another rest period and they're going to try and you know try it again and and try this all over and if the strength doesn't come back my personal opinion if the strength doesn't come back this time he's going on ir but yeah, um, i mean i i think once you get out of the bye week yeah. Uh, I think it, uh, during that period after the Green Bay game and before the Indy game, he will be announced that, that he's moving on to injury reserve. And, yeah. uh, and I would be 99.9% sure that's where this is headed. It's, yeah, it's, think... it's a bit eyebrow raising, though, that he said that, you know, no no doctors have told him anything about surgery. Because if, if he's got this injury, Alf, that you and I are talking about, um, I I I would think that somebody would talk to him about surgery. Um, but I know that... Tannehill like our our listeners are pretty astute and um and the internet crowd in, in general are pretty astute they've they've pointed out and we've they've seen what we've seen with Ryan Tannehill basically acting like a spokesman for that kooky stem cell treatment uh, uh you know Regenex on on Twitter and in fact he he tweeted something about it a couple of weeks ago specifically saying something like before surgery uh try this you know and it was um it was a little bit eyebrow raising, and I think that uh, you know I wonder I wonder if that's an issue because he does have that history with the knee where you know he he tore his ACL. You're thinking surgery, duh. Um, but yeah. he decides no surgery. He decides to you know rub some witch hazel and stem cells on it and then uh, pray it away. And um, and then he comes back to training camp the next year. And uh, and hoping that the scar tissue would do the trick, and it didn't. Clearly, I mean, he gets into the scrimmage, and the knee slipped out, and it was, it was clearly unstable. And so then he did have to have the reconstructive surgery. So he's got a kind of a history of this, and you know, I wonder about that when I see him saying, "Oh no, no doctors were telling me surgery." I'm like, really? I don't know. Seems <laughs> like a classic lack of communication, which seems to be the theme this week. <laughs> I don't yes, know. yes. Now let me say, let me say something very quickly here before I play you Simon Clancy, that's me. our great sponsor, but the SI. But it is common that if you have a a small labral tear that it can get better over time without surgery. Mm-hmm. And realistically, like if you told me no surgery, can he throw next year? I would say, yeah, he could probably be back to close to a hundred percent by, I don't know about maybe late camp, probably preseason, mm. but that is not something. If you have a small labral tear, it mm. is simple. Okay. It, we're not, <laughs> this is not speculation. It's simple. You cannot throw with any power or strength within, let's say, a 16-week period. And he's trying to get healthy inside of what essentially is going to be six weeks. Mm-hmm. So, and when we talk about labor and tests for people that don't know, that you know, this is what Andrew Luck had. This is what Drew Brees yeah. had. This is what Colin Kaepernick had back in 2015. These are serious injuries for people that are – you know, the mechanics of it, you, you break down the mechanics of a throw, but the, the role of the laborer is utterly integral into, you know, if, if it's not working, you cannot be a quarterback. Look what, you know, the future of the Miami Dolphins was essentially assignated because of the decision that Nick Saban took not to sign Drew Brees because of the severity of that labor tear. And when we went with Dante Culpepper and that, you know, now look what's happened subsequently. Nick Saban's gone to Alabama and the, arguably the greatest college football coach of all time. Drew Brees is going to the Hall of Fame with the New Orleans Saints quarterback. And we're in the situation, ironically enough, with our own quarterback with his own labor missions. But that is why Drew Brees' career was in flux. 
it's part of the reason or the main reason why Andrew Luck's career was, you know, questioned for for so long. And, you know, he's finally managed to bounce back. There was almost two years, what, really, sure. realistically, that the Luck wasn't able to throw the ball properly. So it's a very, very serious issue. And and Andrew Luck particularly comes to mind because when that came out, that it came out just before the 2016 season, uh, there was a report that Andrew Luck had, uh, quote, "Quote unquote labrum fraying," and which is another word for a labor for a, a labrum tear. And of course, the Colts denied it, completely denied it. And uh, Ryan Grigson, general manager at the time, completely denied. It. He's like, "Oh, you know, he's just been throwing a lot. He's, you know, he's, he's tired arm and stuff like." He played the entire season. He played mm-hmm. the entire 15 games. The only game he missed was due to a concussion. But when the season was over and they did surgery, they did surgery to repair a posterior labrum tear and that's that's what that's what Andrew Luck had and the complications from that surgery are what kept him out for the entire 2017 season I'm not saying that would happen in Tannehill's case or anything like that because you know who knows what kinds of complications happen with Luck but that is that's what happened he played with it and so I think that you know it's not exactly unprecedented that um that Tannehill would think that he can he can go ahead and and try and make this happen um if if that is you know if our reporting is correct and our sources are correct on this um you know but uh but that i think is is what's happening he's got the instability from the uh from the capsule ligament sprain and he's also got a you know a slap tear that goes a small slap tear that goes with it the other thing is i and i interviewed chase winovich yesterday the michigan defensive end who's uh, you know anybody that follows college football will know he's an incredibly bright human being and there's more to his life than just football ryan Tanner wants to be a doctor you know, he is now, we've had two ACL injuries. We've got a labrum tear in his shoulder. He's a, now on a 30, 31 year, year old man with two small children. I'm not saying that he's going to walk away from the game, but there are, you know, there are other considerations in his life away from just playing football. And if this is a, an injury that maybe potentially takes 18 months, two years to come back from, depending on the severity, how much worse it gets, all those sorts of things, there are potential question marks surrounding him moving forwards, whether it's with us or with, with anybody else. Yeah, and the problem with his, with this injury, and I'm pretty sure that he's probably struggling struggling with it, is that it does get better in very with very 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 short rest. I'm talking about four or five days. In four or five days, he's going to feel a lot better, and he's going to get out there. And then you know, doctors are going to know better, and the coaches are going to know better, and they're going to tell him you're not going to throw 50 balls today. But he might pick up a football and you know, chuck one 22 yards and hit somebody on stride with good power and say, I'm fine. I'm perfectly fine. I could play. Then the second one is going to lose some power, and then he's going to be in excruciating pain for every throw afterwards. So it's not something that I would say it, you're going to be perfectly fine even if he does pull off a minor. I would say it's a minor. It's not a medical miracle. It's a minor medical miracle if he plays after the bye week. But if he does play, it's not something that – he's just going to be a hundred percent right away. It's something he's going to have to manage the rest of the season, which means of course, you know, painkillers and, you know, rest and all that type of stuff. But yeah, but first a word from Simon Clancy on bet DSI. So you hear me bang on about this every week, but it is time for bet DSI. 
I, they are our excellent sponsors. If you are a gambling person, I am not, but if you are, then these are the guys you need to go to. Why? Well, most people seem to bet online these days and most people seem to bet on their phones. So they have an outstanding mobile interface. They've been in the game for 20 years and pretty much they dominate the market because they are the best at what they do. And they're going to offer you essentially free cash, which you cannot grumble at. So in the modern era, in the modern day, who is going to turn their nose up at free money? I certainly wouldn't. You certainly wouldn't. And if you do, then you are a moron. And frankly, you know my opinion about morons. So get in the game. These Bet DSI boys, they don't mess about. You want to put a bet on. You want to go down the track. You want to bet on football. You want to bet on the NCAA. Get your bets on now with the guys at Bet DSI. Esports, MMA, boxing. I mean, there's a great Deontay Wilder against uh, Tyson Fury coming up. The Premier League is back this weekend after the international break. Want a line on it? They've got a line on it. They'll get you a bet on it. They even do like presidential stuff i bet they even do the oscars they've got everything so join today use the code code yards 101 that's yards y-a-r-d-s yards 101 get in the game get paid today get free dollars for betting free dollars for betting a couple of weeks ago florida state miami if you put 100 pound on miami to win and miami lost you'd get your 100 dollars back i said 100 quid i'm english you get your 100 dollars back you don't even lose anything astonishing value betdsi.com they are the people to bet with we're back on three yards per carry and I have, of course, Chris. I have Simon. Simon, you've been gallivanting about the fruited plain. Mm. Tell us a little bit about this trip of yours. I'm sitting in a ho- on a 12th floor hotel window in Niagara, looking out over Niagara Falls right now. I can see lots of spumy water splashing around and frothing about. Niag- I don't know if anybody's ever been to Niagara. I can see buffalo from here across the, across the way. I don't know if you've been to Niagara. It is one of the tackiest places I've ever been to in my entire life. And genuinely, it's, um, you know, the falls itself are beautiful and everything surrounding it is really, really, really cheap and tacky. And it's it's not nice. But today, so early on today, we were in Hamilton uh, as guests, or sort of guests of uh, Jeff Reinbold, a friend of, uh, of us over here in the UK or over here, you know, when I'm at home in terms of the, the magazine I write for. Um, Jeff was defensive coordinator, special teams coach there for a long time and then left and is now at uh, BC is obviously very close with June Jones as the head coach and Jerry Glanville who's the defensive coordinator former head coach of course of the Falcons and Oilers so we spent an hour or so with Jerry this afternoon which was great fun had a great chat with him uh, yesterday we were back in Michigan with Chase Winovich and Rashan Gary spent an hour with those two boys in the evening which was great fun um, before that where we'd been just mooching about traveling about did uh, so I was there for Rogers Brady on Sunday night uh, which was great, really good game. Spoke to Aaron Rodgers in the press conference afterwards. Uh, he was very, very grumpy uh, beforehand, but seemed to calm down when the English fella stepped in and uh, <laughs> asked him to you know, um, that, And then bizarrely, so that my friend and I, Liam and, uh, and I were asked him consecutive questions in the presser and then he, uh, we saw him in the corridor afterwards and he sort of gave a little nod of acknowledgement, which was quite nice, to the point where I'm going to be at Green, I'm going to be at Lambeau on Sunday for Miami Green Bay. I may go into the press conference of Rogers' press conference rather than Adam Gaze and just sort of, hi Adam, you may remember me for, uh, hi Aaron, you may remember me from last week. Uh, English guy asked you a great question. Yeah, I should call him Adam. But, um, and then obviously Michigan Penn State last weekend and there, which was great in the big house. And uh, tomorrow night I will be in Pittsburgh for Steelers Carolina. Friday at the Hall of Fame in Canton. And then Saturday at um, Ohio State, Michigan State, and he's Lansing. So looking forward to it. 
How was Rashawn Gary? Because that is a man. Rashawn Gary was uh, was great. He is a large human being. Mm-hmm. Um, he's a very funny guy. He's a very. He's just a really. I mean, they're both really, really nice. They're both very friendly, and it, we've kind of sold it to the. And it, it was really bizarre because back in the UK, if I wanted to get you know five minutes with a Premier League football player, it would rarely happen. And if it did, it would be heavily handheld by the press officer and there'd be certain questions I wouldn't be able to ask. The, the Michigan Michigan press team were just like, you know, come up, here's Chase, 33 minutes with Chase, just sat there <laughs> asking him loads of questions. No press officer around, just the, you know, just the three of us recorded a load of questions. Then Rashan came up, did 20 minutes with Rashan, uh, and sold on the fact that these two defensive ends will be probably the front cover of the magazine draft wise when we get to April next year in terms of, you know, a, a nice long form story on the two of them with the realization that Rashan is not necessarily coming out. And even then he was asking, answering questions about, you know, his draft status and um, his weight, and his preferred position, the relationship between himself and Winovich. I mean, he's a really good kid, a really mature kid, a really interesting kid. Um, they both talked about how they'd gone home that night last Saturday after the Penn state game to watch, um, to watch LSU Alabama and the, the excitement they kind of feel it. And you can kind of sense it around that but that they feel they're going to get into that, not only to get into the playoff, but potentially play in the national championship against Alabama. And that, and that Don Brown defense is so good mm. um, with those two boys on the edge and Devin Bush in behind. But Gary was great. I mean, he's really, really engaging, interesting. Um, and, and like you say, Chris, I mean, he's, he's, he said to us that he's 283 pounds currently. Uh, he wants to play 4-3 end. He can kick inside to defensive tackle on pass, yeah, on um, obvious passing situations. He's great against the run. He's been injured a little bit this season. The knee has been, I think he missed three games. But, you know, he says he's in great shape for the, for the stretch run. Um, and I would say that, you know, although he didn't in any way, shape or form give us any indication as to what he would do, you would imagine that he would be coming out because he talked about the fact that he, he's looking forward to getting to the next level to be able to repay his mom and, you know, mm-hmm his family, his cousins, those sorts of things, because obviously very tough upbringing, the situation that if anybody watched the All or Nothing, the All or Nothing Michigan documentary that Amazon did, then, you know, the, the situation with his father is a, has been a tough one. So I was thoroughly impressed with both of them. And Winovich is a, you know, he's such an exuberant uh, raconteur. But Gary certainly was interesting and informative and chatted away. And yeah, it was a, a really fun experience. Those big physical dynamos, I mean, and you know, just go ahead and come out. Your, your body's yeah. right. I mean, uh, I mean, that's why. I, I mean, that's why I said to him. I, uh, one of the questions was, you know, apart from Nick Bozer and Ed Oliver, really, you, you physically, you are next man up in terms of, you know, an NFL body and a college player, really. And you know, you stand next to him, and he's a huge. And you know, Winovich isn't as big. You know, Winovich is maybe six mm-hmm. two, but Gary is just a. He's one of those planet theory guys. You know, he's mm-hmm. he's big. His yeah. hands are massive. His arms are massive. You know, you know, I sat next to him. His neck is huge. Mm-hmm. He's just You know, he's just physically ready but both of them are interestingly both of them are aware of their deficiencies and the work mm-hmm. that they do and gary was telling us that you know he, he watches an awful lot of nfl so they guys have sunday off and he watches an awful lot of nfl stuff and he, he says i just sit there and focus on you know i, I watch cam wake and then i'll watch chandler jones and i'll see something that jj watt does and he says i'll get my roommate up and i'll try what what has just done or what you know he goes through a list of you know different players and he likes to sort of take little bits and mold that into his game he's a real student of the the game and and, and we spoke to him at about uh, i suppose about seven o'clock and his plans for the rest of the day you know obviously day at school they just uh they practice for an hour and then he said my you know i'm going home to watch Rutgers tape because you know this is the most important game of the season for us now you know it's a trap game 
after Penn State, two weeks from Ohio State, we're rolling. I need to go home and watch. You know, I've got my list of tendencies and he's got a big spiral notebook. I've got a list of tendencies. I've got all the things I need to watch. Uh, that will be my evening, just dinner and watching Rutgers tape. So he was, um, yeah, two very impressive individuals, a real credit to the school. Where's his fit as far as scheme in the NFL? 4-3. I mean, he, he says he's a 4-3 defensive end. He'll kick inside to defensive tackle. Um, on obvious passing situations, can play the run. I mean, I asked him whether or not he could bulk up and play play, play a 3-4 end, which he said he absolutely could, but that's not what he would like to do. Mm-hmm. You know, and he's got the, you know, you watch him play. He's got the speed to get around the corner. He's got the physical ability to bend and dip and, you know, um, and we talked about, and the same with Winovich as well, I talked about, you know, whether or not you'd like to challenge yourself against Jonah Williams, for example, of Alabama, the really great Alabama left tackle, or whether or not you kind of want to pad your stats against the Bowling Green left tackle. And they were like, you know, <laughs> iron sharpens iron. I want to play against the very best. And they, yeah. and they both said, you know, we watched two Tonga Vala on Saturday night with huge respect and sort of, you know, breathtaking in a way at times. But, you know, I want to get out there and show the country that, you know, we are good enough to take him down kind of thing. It's, you know, impressive kids. Now, let me say that the reason we're asking so many questions about Rashawn Gary is because, in my opinion, and I think in most of our opinions on this podcast, mm. he could be a target for your yeah. Miami Dolphins That's come April. Now, great. let me ask you one last question before we go to break. What do you say to those that say, I don't know, the last defensive end that came out of Michigan that was highly touted, Taco Charlton, he, he isn't all that great. Yeah, I, I, well, one, I think it's too, a bit too early to – to really be definitive on on that, because otherwise we'd have to say the same thing, for example, about you know Charles Harris, or you know sure. we've we've certainly said thing, but I think it takes guys a little bit of time. I, I mean, you, you look at him play on tape, uh, you look at him as a human being. I, I can't see any. I mean, we Matt and I, who's the editor of the magazine, we, when we were driving back yesterday, we, we were talking about you know he's one of those guys that physically you know you, he'll either end up in the Hall of Fame, or mm-hmm. he'll end up as a you know a complete washout. But you look at him both physically and uh, you know mentally and, and as a human being you just think I, I can't see any way that he isn't a really really good player he's got and he's one of those kids that probably won't be automatically a you know I suspect Winovich will get early returns for and you know people will knock Winovich down in the draft process because maybe he's not got a four he's not a four four guy and he's a six two and whatever but ultimately he'll end up having a really strong Clay Matthews type 10-year career as just a really good energizer bunny Sam Hubbard type player who just you know, he's just got a massive heart. Whereas Gary has just got this ridiculous physical, you know, he comes up the steps and you're just like, wow, that's that's a man there in an 18, 19-year-old's body. Um, yeah. But it may take him a little while because he's kind of not grown into his body yet. Do you know what I mean? It's, he's, not, he's not there yet, but when he is there, by God, he could be special. And on a play-for-play basis, you're just looking at what he does on the field and, you know, he is dominant. I mean, he's dominant in his own in his own ways. And he's not lazy either, Chris. Is he? He's a guy that will chase from one side of the field to the other. He's not happy. And as he said, you know, he's not happy unless he's running a guy down from behind 30, 40 yards across the field. He said, you know, if Chase makes a play, it's great, but I'm pissed off because that means he's got one more play than I have. And I need to make, you know, if Devin comes in and makes a play, then all of a sudden Devin and Chase have made a play. And I'm, you know, so I'm really got to work extra hard. To, and it, there's no coasting in him. There's no... You know what you get is all that effort from from first to last snap, and that's yeah, that's just, you know admire, admirable. I just think right. you win guys like that. I mean, yeah, me too. Me all too. right, before we go to break, I'm going to ask both of you first. Chris, does anybody for the rest of the season come within 14 points of the Alabama Crimson Tide? <laughs> yes. Um, okay. Well, we know what one guy's going to say, but go ahead, Chris. I I think that in the 
in the championship game, in the playoffs, in the so maybe not the championship game, but one of the playoff games, mm. they're they're gonna have a scare, uh, I think, in the the Alabama. So Clemson, Clemson are good enough that that offense might be a year away in terms of youth. Lawrence might be a year away. T Higgins might be a year away. Etienne is really good, but they might just be a year. Away. But that, de- you know, that defensive line and the, the the kid they've got a corner are as good as anybody they'll they'll play against. And and that Michigan defense is as good as as good as you'll find in the country and probably better. And then offensively, if Michigan can click with Karan Higdon, with the, you know, they're getting Tariq Black back, Donovan Peoples Jones, the tight end, if Shea Patterson has a good game, you know, they'll they'll, they'll be a challenge for I mean, I think it's those three. I don't see Notre Dame as a uh, as a threat. I think Notre Dame will get blown out by Alabama. Um mm-hmm. and I think actually you know, I think Georgia in the SEC championship game will offer them if Jake Fromm is on, he will offer them a, a challenge. I don't think they're they will beat them, but I think they're you know, they're a team. That's to be a bit of a roll of the deck. Like it could it could work out that way, but it could also like just turn into one of those sixty one. Yeah. I mean I think Bama will win the national championship, oh. you know, but I, I think there is a game in there and those two teams, Clemson and Michigan would be the teams for me that you would be you think would give them a game because of the way they match up in certain yeah. facets Clemson. of the game. Clemson. Yeah, I just find them I find them completely overwhelming. That LSU game. Uh you and me, Simon, were going back and forth on WhatsApp. Mm. I was nitpicking Tua's game <laughs> and it tells you something when I was telling you, uh, I'm not, this is not his finest moment. He was still great. That yeah. team is absolutely Very overwhelming. Yeah. And I know a little bit about overwhelming college football teams down here. And this is one of the best teams I've ever seen. Mm. They're just so solid everywhere. Well, we're going to go to break now. But when we do come back, we will talk Dolphins, Packers. But first, these words. This week on the Five Reasons Podcast, we put out four new episodes with John Krasinski on the Jimmy Butler Miami Heat trade talks. There are people within the Wolves organization that think the Heat were as responsible for that falling apart as the Wolves were. With Tom Haberser on the NBA. I was introducing Eric Spolster, the coach of the Miami Heat, and I say, hey, Eric, this is uh, my boss, John. John, this is Eric. And Ira walks by and goes, oh, congrats on your new job, Tom. Another one? What, next week? Next week you're going to have another one? With former Dolphins quarterback Sage Rosenfels on his post-playing political work. Well, after I retired, I counted how much money I had. I knew what my budget was, and at one point I realized I had you money, and I didn't give a what people thought about what my politics were. And on the Dolphins' win over the Jets. It is the worst offense in Dolphin history. They had guys named Dick Wood playing quarterback <laughs> before Greasy got here. Literally, his name is Dick Wood. Look it up. He's not, he's that's all, he's that's not true. Catch this and much more on the Five Reasons podcast, available in the same places you're listening to this podcast. Hey, this is Seth Levitt, and I am here with two-time Miami Dolphins team MVP. Seth, 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 man. They already know this is O.J. McDuffie. Why don't you tell them what we're really here for? We're excited to join the crew at the Five Reasons Sports Network to bring you our new podcast, The Fish Tank, Dolphins Tales from the Deep. O.J., tell them what they can expect when they dive in. Yeah, Big Seth, we've got some of your favorite all-time Dolphin players in the tank sharing some of the best stories that you've never heard. So it looks like Sasquatch is <laughs> chasing me because you, you know Izzo with his clothes on. He's so hairy, that guy. <laughs> Wait, why are you looking so, at me like I know yeah. Lizzo with his no, clothes off? Seth with his clothes off. So make sure you find the fish tank on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, or if you're one of those Android people, Google Play Music, or on several cross-platform apps, including Podbean and Stitcher. Thanks for diving in.
and we're back. And of course, there's a game this weekend. Dolphins, Packers, and there's also a watch party. Come and see us out here and watch me drink beer at Uncle Al's Sports Cafe in Sunrise. That's at 10033 Sunset Strip in Sunrise. And the party starts at 3 o'clock. Game time is at 425, I believe. They're going to have bucket specials of $13 domestic buckets and $18 imports. They're going to have $19.99 craft buckets, draft specials for $250 domestic, $9 pitchers, $5 fireball shots, $5 green tea shots, $3 jello shots, and a $22 25 wing basket. So there's plenty of drink specials, good time to be had. Of course, on the Five Reasons Sports Network, we've had five watch parties. And the local teams are 0-5 in them. Of course, we made the sixth watch party in Lambeau against the greatest quarterback in the history of the planet, which means that 0-6 is almost a certainty. But before we get to our predictions, Simon, what's the injury situation looking like for the Green Bay Packers? Because they, they look really banged up against the Patriots. Yeah, I mean, Belaga and Kevin King left the game and then King practiced Belaga. Is back to full participation. Obviously, you know David Bakhtiari uh, are, are strong on the perimeter, um, and you don't really want Jason Spriggs in the game at any stage. But Belaga has been carrying injuries really and off throughout the last two and a half seasons. Really, uh, the second was a bit banged up. I think uh, Geronimo, Allis- Geronimo Allison. Try saying that after a couple of drinks. Geronimo Allison won't play a lot, but obviously, you know they 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 developed a couple of those young receivers, and Equinemius and Brown has played a little bit, but. But Marcus Valdez Scandling Scandling is the is the receiver who Rogers is really trusting now in more and more that's critical situations. That's a South Florida Bowl right there. He is, yeah, absolutely. And he's um you know, Rogers talked a bit about him in the press conference the other night and uh, went to him in a couple of critical situations, one deep ball down the left sideline which he called him and went back to him at the very next play. Um and they're building up a bit of a rapport as well. So um yeah, that that would be the injury situation. And but with with Allison out, it, it looks like Valdez Scantling will, will step straight in. Secondary bit of concern. Uh, Whitehead uh, was uh, ejected from the Patriots game and then was released. Um, mm. They moved Tremont Williams to safety. We were in the locker room after the game. Spoke to Tremont and he said, you know, he was looking forward to the challenge against the Dolphins. You know, offering uh, something different to what New England offered in terms of you know with Keen and, and, and those guys. But um. He will play safety where he said he feels very natural in that position. I think Josh Jackson will, might take some snaps at safety. Josh Jones obviously is there as well. So a little bit making men do on the back end. But they, um, you know, they're really playing well now in my petting system, which takes a little while to kind of bed into. But um, you know, they're playing well. King would be a bit of a loss, I think. But the way Jair Alexander is playing, so you know. He's come on so well in the last two or three weeks coming back from injury. He's been fantastic. He is. I mean, that game against the Rams, he was phenomenal. He played very yeah. well as well against New England. Um, and then you've got, you know, Kenny Clark, defensive tackle, one of the sort of unheralded young in the league, um, in my opinion. He will be a force to be reckoned with for that interior three um, for us at the weekend. So, but yeah, that's where we're standing injury wise. I think Blake Martinez is back to full participation after twisting his ankle during the Patriots game at the weekend. So they're all good. And on the Dolphins event, I think Laramie Tunsil was it was limited, but looks looks like he'd be okay. Same with um, with John James. And you, you know, I mean, we've seen it multiple times this season that you don't want to be going anywhere with Sam Young and, uh, and Zach Sterra for in any sort of starting role. Um, I think uh, I think uh, Jakeem was held out, Chris. I think that's right. He was limited, limited, I believe. 
Yeah, Ryan Tannehill was limited, but obviously we know he's not going to play. But, um, <laughs> yeah. I think generally we're in decent shape. Charles Harris is in the practice, won't play. I think it was the sixth yeah. or seventh, seventh straight game with which he's missed. And, you know, very disappointing. You know, you obviously can't help the injury, but very disappointing in a, in a season where we really need to see what we've got with him because obviously decisions need to be made at the end of the year in terms of Quinn, Wake, Branch, potentially. You know, you'd really want to see him emerge in Charles Harris to make you feel a bit more confident about that position, but we shall see. Yeah, and I see that Jimmy Graham has that DMP, and I wouldn't get yeah. too excited out there. First of all, it's not the same Jimmy Graham. And for whatever reason, Aaron Rodgers doesn't like to feature his tight end all that much, but they do have Lance Kendricks, and they still have Mercedes Lewis somewhere on the roster. He's hunting the sidelines somewhere. So they have plenty of talent. And yeah. to be honest with you, you could just roll out a, ch- a shopping cart <laughs> and, and just put against stick them us. all over it. Yeah, and just, yeah, just roll it out against us and – line it up in line at tight end and it'll catch six balls for about 54 yards so you don't have to worry about yeah but let me take it this way i'm going to start with you chris on paper before the season started uh of course when we start doing our predictions we expect complete health we expect nobody to ever get hurt we expected Tannehill to be playing in this game we Mm. we expected albert wilson to be playing we we expected everybody a full compliment even even then, and I've said this before, I think that the Packers do not have a good football team. I don't think this is a very good football team. I, I think, agree hugely. I, I think Aaron Rodgers masks so many of their deficiencies. It's not even funny. But before the season, I had this as a 100%, no doubt about it, put a lock on it, loss. How, Chris, do you beat this team? I'm not sure the Dolphins do because this um, the the matchups here are are bad. So first off, I thought that this could be a win, but only because Aaron Rodgers started off the season kind of shaky with injuring that um, injuring that knee a little bit, and um, and and so it kind of and he he has a history. He has a history of missing games, and I just kind of wondered, you know, will he even make it to this game? You know, will he end up even playing in this game? And if he doesn't play in this game. Then you know, going from Aaron Rodgers to whoever, who's the backup now? Deshaun Kaiser or is it? Yeah, yep. Kaiser. Yeah. Um, going from I, I th- in fact, I just saw a ranked list of um, from a, a, a Las Vegas. I think it was a bookmaker, and um, and he had like the the starter to backup um, point scoring like like how many points you take away for uh, from a team if they go from their starter quarterback to the backup quarterback and Aaron Rodgers was tops in the league like you go 10 point swing if uh, if Aaron Rodgers is not playing to Deshaun Kaiser so I thought hey maybe Aaron Rodgers won't play the game he's getting a little bit banged up already at the beginning of the season he's got a history of missing games well that didn't have that didn't end up happening yeah. um, he's gonna play in the game and he's gonna be healthy and he uh he has a tendency to carve anybody up obviously uh, you talked about the tight ends and Jimmy Graham I mean Jimmy Graham's not doing much until he faces the Dolphins and their linebackers and you know the the way that they cover tight ends which is ineptly um so I think that um, I think that that could easily get going. I'm looking at uh, their offensive line and Brian Balaga and David Bakhtiari, especially David Bakhtiari can handle Robert Quinn. I'm not, you know, it's not it's not a matchup that you're yeah. gonna say, Ooh, you know, I'm waiting for that to happen. Brian Balaga, on the other hand, you know, he's 
we've, we've discussed this. You mentioned earlier that one of Cameron Wake's best games as a pro was against Brian Balaga. So there's, there's hope and I'll never put anything past Cameron Wake because you know, he should never cease or he never ceases to surprise you. But, um, but going into it, you're not thinking, Oh man, this is, this is Cameron Wake versus some awful right tackle backup. So that, that matches up, uh, you know, poorly um i think that marquise valdez scantling the wide receiver i would look for him to pop loose against uh against one of our, our corners on the outside um because that's what he does he he gets deep he's always been a deep speed tall you know vertical guy and um and i think that uh, that could easily happen against the dolphins uh and then i look at the defense and what do they have on the defensive line they have mike daniels and uh, kenny clark uh two very strong you know interior type defensive linemen that will wreak havoc on your shitty guards and that's what Miami has unfortunately they they do not have Josh Sitton um they have Ted Larson and Travis Swanson at center and Jesse Davis and there have been games where those three look like one of the most awful interiors that you've ever seen and so this is not the game this is not the interior you want to go against a team that actually has two two strong you know interior type big defensive linemen like uh like Clark and like uh, and and like Mike Daniels and then you look at uh the the fact that the Green Bay Packers defense their secondary this is one of those teams that plays a lot of dime uh, they, over the th- past three years or so, three years, I would say, uh, they've probably played more dime defense than any other team in, in the NFL. And this is and this year is no exception. They do it. Uh, they do it a whole lot. And um, and what happened when we went against New England, when they approached us by going dime and quarter all the time, going six defensive backs, seven defensive backs all the time, they embarrassed us. Well, mm-hmm. I thought, okay, circle back. Now we're playing the Detroit Lions. Well, the Detroit Lions are not the New England Patriots. This is a Matt Patricia defense, but, you know, not the same personnel, not, you know, the, it, it wouldn't be as bad. I thought we were going to win this game. It's the one game all year that I predicted wrongly. Um, and, and I thought that we were going to win that Detroit Lions game. No, they embarrassed us too with the same approach, with the same dime package uh, approach on defense. So now we start. Now we get here to this uh, to the Green Bay defense, and they're going to do the same thing because that's what they do. They they put dime defense out on the field. And are we really going to? Are we really going to beat it? Are we going to be able to beat it like New England did uh, last week? Um, I don't know. I don't know that we will because history is not on our side, or at least recent history is not on our side against that approach. So just all the way around, it looks bad. And and that's, uh, you know, I hate to depress everybody, but that's that's how it looks. So, Simon, what would be the formula to beat this team? And I heard you disagree with me. Uh, tell me why you think that they're actually a good football team. When you look at the last two games, I think, need to do I mean they take the game against the Patriots the weekend you know we might have been in and out but this is a team that found themselves in plus territory and New England side of the ball far more often than the New England was finding itself in Green Bay territory um, at the point at which the critical moment of the game was 17 all start in the fourth quarter Brady threw seven straight incompletions New England were Green Bay were taking over that game and you know at that point you would have predicted it would have been fairly difficult to predict anything other than a, than a pack Packers victory. Aaron Jones fumbles. It changes the whole emphasis of the game. But they were driving to, to take the lead on the road of Foxbrook. Same situation happened the week before. The, arguably the best team in the league, one of two best teams in the league, the, the Rams. Same situation. Ty Montgomery then runs the ball out of the end zone. You know, with two minutes to go, when you know Rogers were going to drive down the field and 
potentially you know, put the game into overtime against the, the only unbeaten team left of the league on the road. Montgomery fumbles. Rodgers doesn't get the ball back. You know, uh, defensively, as I said earlier, the, the scheme takes a little while to come around. Petting scheme is difficult. Places a lot of emphasis on those young players. Like Tinez is playing well. Jair Alexander is playing well. Um, you know, Chris has just talked about Clark and about um, uh, about Mike Daniels. Uh, and then offensively, look, you've got, you know, Balaga we talked about is held together a little bit by, by Celotate, but David Bakhtiari <laughs> is probably the best left tackle in the NFL. Rodgers is there. Aaron Jones is a really good running back and, and fit nicely. I think the biggest issue for the Packers is Mike McCarthy, is the play-calling situation, is the fact that Aaron Rodgers can't come to the line of scrimmage and change plays. McCarthy is essentially wasting the best years of arguably the greatest quarterback in the history of the NFL, and that's you know that's just fact. Devontae Adams, they got Randall Cobb back healthy. We talked about about the scaling. Jimmy Graham's catching passes. You saw the touchdown catch he made in the end zone in, uh, against the Patriots the other day. Um, so you know they're a good team. They do, they rely heavily on Rodgers, but I think the system makes them more reliant on Rodgers than they should be. And I think a better play caller. And I wonder whether or not you know. And I suspect very strongly that unless they get to the NFC Championship game, I suspect that Mike McCarthy. And you wonder whether a young guy like a Matt Campbell at Iowa State or a, notably a Lincoln Riley at Oklahoma, what what impact he would have, or a Josh McDaniels, you know what impact they would have on somebody like Aaron Rodgers in the autumn of his career, I think. Because, you know, there are definitely more Super Bowls there. And there was a lot of talent on that team, I think. And I just wonder, I just think they're being held back by Mike McCarthy. Um, in terms of the Dolphins trying to win, for me, I just don't see this as a win game. I just don't. Not with the way the offense is playing. And, you know, it feels like an excuse, but you can't continue to carry the injuries that we do in critical positions. You know, like Matt, the magazine editor, I sat in Starbucks in, in Ann Arbor yesterday going through what would the Patriots be like if they lost the players that we lost, we went position by position, you'd take out 10 or 15 frontline guys, and that would not be the same in the Patriots. Well, I'll tell you what I see. Uh, I found a very interesting stat that uh, Chris Collins was shared on the broadcast of the of the Rodgers-Brady matchup, and he said that Aaron Rodgers had a 140 quarterback rating when rolling out to his left, which is odd for a right-handed quarterback, but only a 56 quarterback rating rolling to his right, and Belichick was purposefully throwing uh, backside blitzes to try to get him to roll to his right, which shows you, you know, he was thinking next level. I think the formula to win this game, I don't think they are, spoiler alert, but the formula to win this game is a ton of Kenyon Drake touches. Yes, that's absolutely true. I agree. Okay, that's on offense for sure. Intermediate passing game, some shot plays. Huddle, no huddle. You cannot no huddle against this team because you don't want to give them any more any more snaps than than mm. your defense allows. And then we just get a completely clean game on offense, zero turnovers, and then have our defense force a couple of turnovers. Do we have the personnel to do it? I think we do. Our I, secondary I, I just, is good enough. I just don't understand how we think our offense is going to be able to do that. You're talking about deep shots and uh, the intermediate passing game about a quarterback that's never shown the competency to be able to do that. You know, you look at those plays that he missed at the weekend, the Devontae Parker pass that went behind pass head. The, the three and four yards wide open down the Amendola touchdown that, that he just flat out misses. I just don't think you're... He's, his competency... Look at the Houston game. Same situations happen. He's not competent enough to do it. What happens when he's rolled out the pocket? You look at the Houston game, the game at the weekend when he's forced out of the pocket he, he just has to throw the ball away because he has no ability to be able to make plays i think that if i'm imagining how like let's let's presuppose that the dolphins won that they won the game 
how did that happen? One, I would say that defensively, we do have the corners. I mean, if we've we've got all the defensive backs on the field, uh, you know, which evidently is a challenge because some guys come off the field because they think that they're benched and then they don't go back out on the field. Um, (laughs) But, um, you know, if we've got all our guys out on the field, then we've got enough corners and safeties to cover their, you know, their three wide receiver looks and their, um, and, and that's what they, that, that's what they're, they're a 75% 11 personnel team. So they, they really rely on that. And we have gotten something like 12 interceptions against 11 personnel this year. So I, you know, we have that ability in us on defense to have the right game. I'm not saying that they will have the right game, but the ability is there. Um, on offense, you know, I, I don't know that it's the intermediate passing game so much. I think it's the short passing game against uh, against their dime defense. Um, I think it's 11 personnel running. Uh, and I think New England already showed us the way, what they did. New England's not an 11 personnel team this year. They're, they're, they, run, they use a lot of 21 personnel, two running backs, one tight end. And they use some 12 with one running back and two tight ends. But they're one of, they use uh, 11, like three wide receivers. They use uh, some of the, the least in the league, uh, but not against the Packers. Then against the Packers, they were a heavily 80-plus percent, 11 personnel, three wide receiver team. And the reason is because, hey, if, the pa- if, if you're going to put on 11 personnel, which normally is going to draw a nickel defense, five defensive backs, and the Packers are going to match up with that with a dime defense with six defensive backs, then you've got something there that that at least you can try and take advantage of in the run game. And that's Mm. what the Patriots tried to do. They, you know, Corderell Patterson and running back, you know, they tried, um, they tried a little bit of everything, but they succeeded too. They, they succeeded in running the football. I think it was 24 times um, for over five yards of carry out of 11 personnel last week. And they used, they used a lot of it. And so that's what Miami's going to do. Miami's actually pretty good at that. Miami's actually pretty good at running out of 11. So, um, so, you know it's just going to be a, have to be a heavy it's going to have to be one of those games where we start running the ball and you're like wow there's room to run there for Kenyon Drake and then they just keep doing it and keep doing it and keep doing it and keep doing it more and just stick with it and you know and, and dominate that way and that's what it'll have to be as for Brock Oswald I think he's falling apart I think I said this you know he's been training month. he's been training down for yeah. weeks <laughs> for weeks and um and and so i think he's falling apart so i'm not expecting any heroics out of him what i would say is that uh it's the short passing game out of out of 11 personnel that um that you know would complement that that running approach with kenny and drake and and you know, it's going to have to be, you guys talked about, I was listening to the pod you did earlier this week and, you know, Simon, I, you and I are, are supremely frustrated with this Adam Gase thing where he comes back. Oh, we just didn't get to Kenyon Drake. Um, <laughs> you're, you're the play caller, dude, you know, go ahead and, and, and call it. Well, he's going to have to get on top of it this time and actually call Kenyon Drake's number a lot if he wants to win this game, because it's going to, that's, that's how it's going to be done. It's going to be 11 personnel, running on the green bay packers dime defense and their their light approach their extra light approach uh to personnel packaging on defense and then you know when they get on offense and aaron Rodgers, you're just you're just praying that he doesn't destroy you and um but i i on the other hand i do think that miami has some corners that can match up and so there's that possibility of having just the the perfect game that way but you know these are these are low these are lower odds bets 
And so I, I ultimately agree with Simon. All right, it's prediction time. I'll start first. I think they keep it close. I think they keep it close for the first three quarters. And then Aaron Rodgers turns into Aaron Rodgers and Brock Osweiler, although Brock Osweiler is actually the highest rated passer in the NFL in the fourth quarter. Believe it or not, that's an actual real stat. I think Brock Osweiler throws an untimely interception and we lose what would have been a close game by a little bit more. They lose 27 to 17 to the Green Bay Packers. Simon? Uh, 31-10 Green Bay. Mm. Wow. I'm leaning, I'm leaning toward that. If, if it's close in the first half, like, you know, even a tie ball game or um, Miami being up, then, then this gets all flipped and Miami, you know, could actually, I feel like Miami could actually win because they get offensively. There's a reason Brock Osweiler has that kind of passer rating in the fourth quarter. It's because all of Adam Gase's quarterbacks get better and better as the game wears on into the second, the end of the second quarter, the third quarter, and the fourth quarter. So if they if they do keep it close in that first half, then 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 things get turned a little bit. But I don't think that's going to happen. I think there's going to be a first half onslaught. We're going to be down by you know 17 points in the first half alone, and. Um, and then it's just going to end up ugly, and I'm, I'll, I'll lean more toward, like, 27 to 7. All right. Well, you heard it here first. Beat down for the Miami Dolphins this Sunday. Hopefully they surprise us, and if they do, that'll be an interesting podcast next Tuesday. All right, that's it. There is no more. Of course, come out to the, the watch party this weekend at Uncle Al's. You'll get all the information at the top of this podcast. We will put it on our Twitter account, of course. Hopefully they surprise us, and we have a winning podcast next tuesday but till then thanks for listening to three yards per caddy you can subscribe via itunes on podbean or your usual podcast provider everybody in your crew identifies as either big mac burger mcnuggets or mccrispy sandwich but you're the filet fish sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.